Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Monthly Movie News, a Cinematic Doctrine discussion panel where Daniel and I talk about various movie news released over the course of the month. I'm Melvin, creator and lead host of Cinematic Doctrine, and with me is... Dan, his very loyal and humble co-host. Without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, Last week, we talked fairly lengthily about the comments Martin Scorsese made in regards to uh, big, larger popcorn movies, specifically talking about Marvel films. And the internet was kind of all ablaze about it, and we even talked about it. I guess the chatter finally got to Scorsese because he decided to finally make an official comment on it. And I will try my best to sum up what he said. Um, but in an opinion piece for the New York Times titled, I said Marvel movies aren't cinema, let me explain. Scorsese elaborates on his comments. Within the essay, Scorsese admits that there's an element of personal taste at play, obviously, noting that I know that if I were younger, if I'd come at age at later times, I might have been excited by these pictures and maybe even wanted to make one myself. But I grew up when I did, and I developed a sense of movies, of what they were and what they could be. That was as far from the Marvel Universe as we on Earth are from Alpha Centauri. From here, he doubles down on his premise, saying that Marvel films don't take enough risks and lack emotional and character depth. And while I don't agree with all his points, I will highlight what I feel like are two main points that I would have to say I have to agree with him on these. His first point is dealing with the contrast of what were event films when he was growing up versus what are event films now, um, comparing the works of Hitchcock with what we see in Marvel films now. And while he concedes there is an element of spectacle in both, he argues that there is more depth in the films of yesteryear. Scorsese states that it's the emotional loss Cary Grant feels North by Northwest that caused us to revisit the film, not necessarily famous set pieces such as the plane running him down in the field. What's not there is revelation, he says. Mystery or genuine emotional danger. Nothing is at risk. The pictures are made to satisfy a specific set of demands, and they're designed as variations of a finite number of themes. And I actually think he touches upon something really truthful here. And my favorite quote from his piece where he says, They are sequels in name, but they are remakes in spirit. And everything in them is officially sanctioned because it can't really be made any other way. That's the nature of modern film franchises. Market research, audience tested, vetted, modified, reveted and remodified until they're ready for consumption. But his main point, which I wholeheartedly 100% agree with is that Marvel movies monopolize the box office and it's harder and harder for smaller or indie films to get made and get distributed. He states, so you might ask, what's my problem? Why not just let superhero films and other franchises films be? The reason is simple. In many places around this country and around the world, franchise films are now your primary choice. If you want to see something on the big screen is perilous time in film exhibition and there are fewer independent theaters than ever. 
the equation is flipped and streaming has become the primary delivery service. Still, I don't know a single filmmaker who doesn't want to design films for the big screen to be projected before audiences in theaters. Interestingly, he makes the point that it's not a simple case of supply and demand. Uh, he says that people may be seeing movies in large numbers, but that's pro- partially like a chicken before the egg scenario, where maybe if they had more options, they wouldn't necessarily be always be seeing Marvel films. I mean, so at this point, before we get into Feige's rebuttal, how do you feel about his comments, Melvin? I think, like, I think he's making some good points, but do you think he's on the money? Is this just like, you know, old man yells at cloud kind of thing, or is Scorsese making speaking a lot of truth here? There, there could be a bit of old man yells at cloud and. I'll start with this. I cannot remember the specific article that I was reading, but there was a really great piece talking about art house theaters. And it was in response to someone else basically saying something quite similar, but saying, actually, art house house theaters are fine. And it was talking about a lot of theaters that turned into nonprofits and uh, in basically into local, you can almost say like historical places. I think his comments work when you look at the entire United States. I mean, I'm living near a city, so I'm getting a lot of diversity with all kinds of movies. Right. In fact, Philly Film Festival just happened. And unfortunately, I only found out like two days before. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that. But the point is, is the theaters and the movies and everything comes to me. I don't have to chase after it. But if I was living out in the in like Pennsylvania area, which is like very rural, you would you could bet money that you're only really going to see big budget stuff or things that are getting extreme like the wide release films land there the limited release land where i'm at whether or not that has to do with his with the idea that the marvel movies are yeah they're taking up too many screens and so his second point being like people aren't seeing it because they don't have enough options is in my area, not true because there are tons of options. In fact, one of the theaters near me does a lot of Bollywood films, but also is true. But I really think it comes down to location. So uh, maybe that last comment is true. The first one, though, and I'm going to check out these notes again. The idea that or refresh me uh, on that one. So you had said he kind of makes two points as to like the two the two overarching points in regards to his first point about like the actual nature of the films themselves are first. And I do think there is definitely an element of taste in this, but he's arguing that a lot of the bigger films that he grew up on had more heart. They had more character. Um, the things that made the big set pieces resonate hit hard was all the things that sort of preceded them where like all the stuff with Cary Grant North by Northwest it hits us because of like who Cary Grant's character is and the loss he's feeling, you know, like all of the, like, like, I mean, just using an example, he didn't, this is an example he used, but like he would argue that like when you watch Psycho, like the horror in that film is horrific because of like the characters and because we realize who Norman Bates is as a character. And like, it's not just like, well, he would say like Marvel films are just the shower scene over and over again. And his other point is that Marvel films are almost like, you know, movies made in a lab, like they're market tested, they're the result of multiple like test screenings and seeing what will, what does well in markets and what like adver- would do well for advertising. Like what you see on screen at the result of a, like, you know, the mythical lone creative voice, like hammering away at a laptop or a typewriter coming for the screenplay and then making a labor of love. All of the quirks and eccentricities you see in the Marvel films are the result of what Disney thinks will sell the most toys and merchandise. Yeah. I think you spot on with that. I think there is a, Anybody who who jumps between a Marvel film and any other kind of film can see a very big difference. We did talk a bit about it last episode where we kind of talked about, 
yeah, Marvel films sometimes do touch on really big things, and that's true. But they touch on them in a way that's very different, and I would almost say a little more surface level, which which occasionally means you sometimes dip under the water. I mean, waves come over your head. So as far as the metaphor is concerned, sometimes you get a little deeper. But they sometimes don't dig in quite as intense as like like Black Panther versus Get Out. There's no comparison. I mean, Get Out is the significantly more self-aware film when it comes to ethnic and cultural and minority struggles than Black Panther is. Um, Black Panther has to do that while also being a big, dumb action flick sometimes. And Get Out doesn't have to do that. Get Out can have long stretches of silence. I mean, the entire auction scene is silence. (laughs) And so there's just a lot of things that they can't do because they have to bring in money. So he's right there. I think another thing, too, that he says, the idea of like you have filmmakers who still want to put their films on theaters. And that's so true. Lulu Wang's uh, had an opportunity with The Farewell to either distribute or have it purchased by a streaming service. And she said the streaming service was going to offer something like six or seven times the amount that the the distribution company was going to offer. And the distribution was, I think, A24. She remembers going to her mom and she said, "Um, if I take the streaming distribution deal, we'll just have so much more money. You don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to worry about anything. You can buy a new house, a new car. And her mom says, what do I need to buy a new house or car for? You made this movie for the big screen, so put it on the big screen. Um, And so ultimately she went ahead and did it and she was very glad for it. And I'm glad for it because... Yeah, I love movies and I love being able to conveniently stream them at home, but there really is nothing like seeing them in theaters, whether it's a drama or not. Um, comedy, don't don't much care for, for that. Strict comedy. But like a comedy that's an action flick or a comedy that's a sci-fi flick, sure, that's cool. I think he is hitting on a lot of things, but I think there's a bit too that like he's talking about North by Northwest. And the thing is, is that Hitchcock wasn't the only guy making movies then. There were a lot of other movies going on right and so the idea of having what more options the difficulty is that people want to look at good movies that they trust will be worth their time especially in a culture that is all about time like time is the currency we're working with now it's not money for younger people it's money and time for older people it might not even be both because they have their 401ks set up and they're totally fine and they crashed the housing market. And so now we're playing catch up. That's the okay boomer part in me showing up. But time is such a big deal. I mean, Netflix even does this with introducing their twice speed or whatever thing that they can do. So time being the commodity that it is, people don't want to risk watching a potentially bad movie. And so they'll go see a Marvel movie instead. But I digress. I, I think I think there might be a lot more nuance to it. I think this is the sort of thing someone could write a dissertation on, not like a quick article. I mean, it is a cultural thing. It is not just a preference thing, although preference is incredibly big part of it too. I mean, I'll I'll share some of my own thoughts on this as well. But before that, Foggy did respond to this. Well, let's just let's just let's just hear his response. So, in an inter- interview with the Hollywood Reporter, Foggy responded, and I will again do my best to summarize his points, um, particularly with direct quotes from him. Feige says, I think that's not true. I think it's unfortunate in response to the question about whether you know the Marvel films are cinema or not. I think myself and everyone who works on these movies loves cinema, loves movies, loves going to the movies, loves to watch a communal experience in a movie theater full of people. Responding to the idea that Marvel movies don't take risks, he says, we did Civil War. We had our two most popular characters get into a very serious theological and physical altercation. We killed half our characters in the movie Infinity War. I think it's fun for us to take our success and use it to take risks and go in different places. 
Feige goes on to also point out um, in Angelina Jolie's Eternals, currently being shot in the Canary Islands by filmmaker Chloe Zhao and starring characters that few outside the Marvel diehards have ever heard of. I think it's a very big movie. I think it's a very expensive movie and we're making it because you believe in Zhao's vision. You believe in those characters can do. We believe we need to continue to grow and evolve and change and push our genre forward. That's a risk. If I've ever heard one, I mean, that's a very polite professional response. I'm in a lot of different movie groups online, whether it be Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, these responses were pretty much laughed out of the building. Um, The idea that he thinks that everyone dying in infinity war is a risk is somewhat laughable because every single person in the theater wasn't like, oh, I guess Spider-Man's dead forever. We all kind of knew they were coming back. But I do think his point about these movies being risky in a financial sense is accurate. But I mean, his general point is that, and he goes more into this if you actually look at the interview, I highly recommend people check it out. It is interesting uh, as his Scorsese's original article where he talks about like, these films are science fiction stories in the very classical sense where they may not be the biggest in terms of like depth, but they are like modern day parables. Like you'd read these in old sci-fi magazines and anthology paperbacks, which is true. But I also think that in some ways they also have the same artistic merit as those where they do have like modern day parables, but they are also disposable. And yeah, I think the newer films are taking more risks in terms of casting and using characters people don't know about. But I think the undeniable monkey on Feige's back here is these movies are being produced by the Disney machine and just the sheer amount of parts at play cut down on the individual creative vision that's at play. And I do think that in an effort to make sure that people get back their $200 billion investment, things are going to be market tested and researched and perhaps, you know, go through a million hands in boardrooms and get kind of beaten to death in that way. But I mean, the question is like, do are, is, is there a right or wrong to this? Is Feige right and Scorsese wrong or Scorsese right and Feige wrong? Is this whole conversation even worth it? I mean, what do you think, Melvin? I think if you approach the question as has the culture of cinema changed and transitioned from like in regards to what's financially viable and what's being distributed, I think I'm on Scorsese's end as far as right, because he is right. I mean, these films not talking about our Marvel movie cinema, but talking about his context, the idea that Marvel movies are what are taking over. They're pushing other movies out. There was the rumors about, and this is talking Disney less so much Marvel, but there were the rumors about star Wars episode eight was only going to be shown in certain theaters. If they like contractually said, like, we'll give you this many screens and this long of time. Right. There is a serious monopoly aspect to it where you're like okay disney maybe you just need to open your own private theaters instead of taking up all this room not to mention as someone who is much more interested in not saying original ip as in like feige saying we're starting with some characters nobody knows like it's still not original in the sense that like this isn't a new writer director coming out of school and creating something that you're going to take a risk on you're really not taking a risk like you're still kind of running on a lot of factors that are consistently reliable and the only thing you've changed is the face on it because the reality is is when you watch some of the marvel movies you don't really get the distinction of the director or the writer going into it the only marvel movies that have like a fingerprint are the guardians movies and for some reason they let James Gunn actually do what he wanted to do and it works. And for everybody else, they don't, or they do. And everybody else is just imitating what they've seen. Cause like the Russo brother movies were fine and winter soldier being still the best of the ones that they've done, but 
they really stabled out into this is what everybody else has been doing and this is what Disney wants us to do. And so this is what we're going to do. So right or wrong. I mean, Feige's response is empty and really isn't answering the question. I also think he doesn't really much care for it, but people are asking him just as Scorsese doesn't really care. And he actually wants to talk about his own movie, the Irishman and not have people (laughs) ask him, what does he think about Marvel movies all the time? Which is incredibly saddening because you think about like, Imagine you're you just released a book and everyone's asking about some comment you made about a song that everybody likes and has nothing to do with your book and you've worked on your book for years and you've been writing for years but you're just some old guy who has different thoughts <laughs> and people and people might not like it. Oh whatever. Okay. I don't know. I, if anything there is no right, there is no wrong. This is all just tabloid irritation and it's noise and it's annoying and i will say that i'm glad to talk about it here and then after that i never want to talk about it (laughs) yeah it's just like it's everybody has already thought this for years i said this in the last monthly movie news everybody has thought this for years it only was picked up to this degree because martin scorsese said it so (laughs) i don't know yeah and currently comments alan moore made years ago or remaking the rounds about comic book films but yeah i mean i hope to never talk about this again but this is going to be i think the ongoing conversation of our times for a reason i'll get into in a second but i think this really is the tale of two different conversations and and one conversation feige is correct and one conversation scorsese is correct the conversation of our marvel movies art yes just by the fact that people are creating them they are cinema because whether regardless the number of cooks it is still being made by people with a creative vision as cynical as some may see it. But Scorsese's thing about the monopolization of Hollywood and how these big event films, not just from Marvel. I mean, they're just, as I said last time, it's the big, they're the biggest dog in the yard, but by big IPs. I mean, we just did trailer talk where we talked about the universal monster movies and how like that was supposed to be a big thing. And, you know, Warner brothers has their DC films and, like the all these big event films and the Fast and Furious movies are just slowly pushing out smaller films. And in that regard, Scorsese is 100% right. But while we were preparing this uh, episode, two days before we recorded, a new story dropped. And it is very sadly exactly what Scorsese is talking about. And this is something that I don't see a lot of people talking about it, which is scary because this is a huge deal. Uh, but the Justice Department has moved to repeal what's known as the, the Paramount Decree a 1948 policy that prevents large studios from owning theaters, block booking screens. It was essentially an anti-monopoly piece of legislation because you just said like, Oh, why does it Disney start their own theaters? They literally could not. Um, That is against the law. They ran, they owned like a set of like family theaters that weren't like technically like real theaters, but this decision could drastically reshape the future of the film industry. Um, I read a couple articles. Polygon had a really good one that sort of highlighted what's going on. Uh, But basically what this legislation was put in place to prevent was someone like Disney. Now, if this gets repealed, they could start their own set of theaters and start putting like, Hey, like if you want to see star Wars, if you want to see Marvel, the only theaters are going to be playing them is like these Disney owned theaters, or they could just buy AMC or something, which could dramatically affect the film industry and film as we know it. But the one that really kind of freaks me out is a concept of block booking. And what block booking is, is, Someone like Disney or even someone like who has a lot of like the movie equivalent of shovelware, like someone like Netflix 
or Amazon who just put out all kinds of bizarre movies that you would never hear about unless you just really start digging through their catalog could say like, Hey, if you want um, to show the new Lord of the Rings movie, like Amazon has that IP or if Disney's like, if you want the next Marvel movie, Star Wars, whatever, you also have to sign to agree to release all these other movies that are making, or even agree entire slates of movies, um, which would essentially like buy up all of the screens in the theater. So Disney can in theory be like, Hey, like if you want the next Star Wars movie, if you want episode 10, um, you have to sign to agree to show all of our Pixar films, all of the Marvel movies that are coming out and such and such. And they could even like put in other provisions like you can't show these movies. So in a lot of ways, Scorsese's fear may not be as unfounded in Old Man Leo's Cloud as we thought it was. And this is something that like I've kind of been worried about for a long time because you mentioned the Star Wars thing and that like really scared me. But now it's like Disney could just like buy up screens and then be like, or you could just sign up for Disney Plus, you know, or whatever. Or they could have a theater chain where a Disney Plus subscription would also act as like an AMC, like subs pass thing. I don't know. There's a lot of things that can happen here. I am not like a big political socialist kind of person or anything like that. And I don't want this podcast to really get into politics. But at a basic level, like I don't necessarily want to live in a world where like all of the art house theaters either have to go out of business or become like dependent upon like government funding, like PBS or something. Like I would like to live in a world where you go down to the movie theater, there's 15 different screens. Each of them is playing something different. And this is, I'm saying this is somebody who loves star Wars. I love the Marvel movies. I love most of the things Disney makes quite frankly. I just, as a company, I don't like them at all. So that's kind of a dour note to end that section on. But let's move on from something somewhat controversial to something extremely controversial. Are you ready, Melvin? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. James Dean has been cast to co-star in the Vietnam era drama Finding Jack, based on the novel of the same name by Gareth Crocker, directed by the filmmaking duo of uh, Anton Ernst and Tati Goldkick. That is not how he pronounces his last name. I apologize to him. Uh, according to the director, the plot is as follows. Following a tragic accident, Fletcher Carson joins the flagging war effort in Vietnam. Lost and lonely, he plans to die in the war, but after stumbling upon a critically injured lab, uh, Fletcher unexpectedly begins to regain his will to live. When the war ends, Fletcher is forced to abandon his dog, but how do you leave your best friend behind? So together they embark on an adventure against all odds to fight for survival. Very keen listeners will note that there is one problem with this, and that is that James Dean has been dead for a very, very long time. Well, don't worry, uh, they plan on resurrecting with CGI. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Ernst had this to say about casting James Dean. Researched high and low for the perfect character to portray the role of Rogan, which has some extreme complex character arcs, and after months of research, we decided on James Dean. We feel very honored that his family supports us and will take every precaution to ensure that his legacy as one of the most epic film stars to date is kept firmly intact. The family views this as his fourth movie, a movie he never got to make. We do not intend to let his fans down. Uh, it appears that they are going to CGI James Dean utilizing old footage and pictures onto another actor with the second actor providing a voiceover. I did some research. And I can't entirely like get the full uh, grasp of what the process is. I looked into seeing if it was any different from how Peter Cushing was brought back to life for Rogue One, um, where essentially all they did was like add CGI like via facial capture, kind of like what they do for uh, fully CGI characters in movies now. But either way, I find this very creepy. Uh, actors who have weighed in on this include Chris Evans, who called it awful and shameful in a tweet, and opined, uh, maybe we should just get a computer appearance in new Picasso or write a couple of new John Lennon tunes. Zelda Williams, actress and daughter of late Robin Williams, tweeted, publicity stunt or not, this is puppeteering the dead for their clout. 
alone, and it sets such an awful precedent for the future of performance. It is worth noting that Ernst, uh, and I'm laughing reading this, states that he was caught off guard by the backlash, telling the hotter <laughs> reporter, I don't really understand it. We never intended for this to be a marketing gimmick. And as a final note, uh, the cherry on top of this bizarre Sunday, the company that is doing this is formed as a company called Worldwide XR, and they plan on bringing back the bore dead celebrities for sponsorships and movie roles. So I guess there's no stopping them. Now, it's important to note, and people probably wondering, how in the world is this allowed? Isn't there laws against this? Well, the people in charge of James Dean's estate have given their okay. And I'm sort of already getting into my opinions on this because this is just such a bizarre story. But I'm just going to come out front and say this. It's important to note that James Dean's estate does not include a single person who has ever met James Dean. Initially, his estate was run by his father, but he died in the mid-90s. So the people running his estate are his late father's relatives, who I'm sure if you just give them enough money, they'll be like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. James Dean wants to be in a Slim Jim commercial. James Dean wants to drink Slurpees, whatever. Who cares? So this isn't a matter of like Zelda Williams, for example, if she was to sign on on including like a CGI Rob Williams in something, that would be a little different because that is his like daughter who knew him and, you know, would in theory have the best knowledge as to whether that would honor his legacy. Uh, James Dean did not. <laughs> okay. This he's not alive to say so. Uh, it's clear Melvin that I have many, many thoughts in this. Uh, feel free to jump in at any time point. Uh, but I mean, I'll start with a simple question. What is your just immediate reaction to the story upon hearing it? Uh, brain break. <laughs> it's, it is, it is just so weird. Right. Yeah. It is incredibly sickening. It feels very like, like it, my first thought was like iconoclasm. And I'm not saying that in the idea that like James Dean is an icon to revere because he is just a man, but individuals have a sacred nature to them and that's that we're in the image of god like we are right. created in a specific way we are unique from creatures and animals stuff like that so like you want to bring back a bambi and go ahead but like when it comes to this casting somebody who's dead and just cging them in is really just feels really gross. Yeah. It is not the same situation. Some people might think that it is, but it's not really the same situation as the Peter Cushing issue with Rogue One because in that situation it is the same character. Yeah. It's still gross and I would say really wrong, especially when um Ben Mendelsohn kind of looks like Peter Cushing. Why they didn't just cast Ben Mendelsohn to be Tarkin? Like it would have worked because you could just CG his face a little bit, not to make him look like Peter Cushing, but just have some characteristics. I mean, you can look at what's that film with Bruce Willis and and um Jessica Gordon Lovett. Yeah, yeah, they Looper. just did. Yeah, they did effects. I think they did some CG to clean up, but mostly prosthetics to make them look similar but different ages and you can just do that instead something about that feels much more appropriate something about that respects the actor who is playing the character because the actor then is doing their job and not having it greatly altered which is also again different from alita battle angel alita the character is built in that way to be super cgi and and super alien looking but also not really and the actor recognized that that's the case because it's also still them. Like she is still playing Alita. I forget her name, but uh, Rosa Salazar is still playing Alita. Yeah. But Rosa Salazar isn't playing. I don't know, like James Dean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so it's just 
it's just wrong. I I would only watch it if it was the case. Like I could, I don't think I could morally watch it. I feel like it would just be really wrong to see it. But I could only morally and appropriately watch it if it was like if there was an a totally legal way in which I could watch it without paying money. Like if it was part of like a James Dean exhibit, like a museum or something or something like made with the intention of specifically honoring his legacy. This is like and showing ways where they didn't honor it. And so they yeah. have the movie on loop to say this was <laughs> this was a, a gross misstep. <laughs> I mean, there's so many layers to this that are just bizarre. Um, the, the fact that he claims he could not find a better actor for the role <laughs> is <laughs> so strange. Not so just because like like I don't understand. Like James Dean is certainly an, an iconic figure, but like his acting ability isn't the greatest acting ability like he's not actually the greatest actor of all time but also there have been multiple like james franco like literally played james dean in a movie and studied his life and like basically kind of like method act his way like you can find people that could give a very james dean performance but like also it's not like oh we decided to make a cgi character who's a lot like james dean because that's what we're going for they're trying to present a fully cgi character as if it's James Dean playing a role like that is there's so many layers to that that don't even make a lot of sense. How do you list that on IMDb? Yeah, is it going on? Is it going on as IMDb? Can James Dean posthumously get awards for this? At the very least, with the Rogue One thing, that is a that is not supposed to be Peter Cushing. That is supposed to be Grand Moff Tarkin. Right. And it's like that is a character and it makes sense for him to be there. And I could see them sitting down to write the screenplay and be like, we cannot logistically explain like Grand Moff Tarkin. I think there's too many scenes with Grand Moff Tarkin in the movie. Like if it had just been like that first time you see them and that was like a kind of cutesy little moment for the fans, quote unquote. But even that made me kind of uncomfortable. Um, but I'm glad you talked upon you touched upon the whole like we were made in the image of God. And is this a proper way to represent his image like is this a proper way to treat the an image bearer of christ where his his someone's icon and legacy and their reputation is more valuable than like the personal autonomy or something right because at the end of the day this really is not casting james dean or casting or or um this isn't a cameo of like a james dean character this isn't a period piece that james dean at the time of existence would have been in so then they have him show up what this is is we cast james dean (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is very different to james dean shows up in our movie that's just weird. <laughs> One of the things that that for some reason keeps sticking with me is we have no idea if James Dean would have been comfortable with this. Right. Like the Vietnam War wasn't something that James Dean probably even thought about. We don't know if he'd even be comfortable being in a movie about this. We don't know if he would have gone on to be a big war protester or something. We have no idea if he would have been comfortable with this movie. We have no idea if this story would have resonated with him. And that's the thing that kind of really sticks in my craw about this, which is let's say I die. For whatever reason, if someone was like, I saw, man, I really like the Cinematic Doctrine podcast. I really want Dan to be in the movie. And it's like a movie where like my character like says God's not real and just like disavows the church and says the Bible's fake. Like, I don't have any control over that. Like whoever happens to control my estate apparently has the right to write, like sign a piece of paper and say that I can do that. And that's the kind of thing that kind of really bothers me about this, which is like losing the ability to like speak for yourself in an essence, you know? And I get that like, I'll be dead. So I probably won't bother you that much. And <laughs> vengeance is the Lord's. And at the end of the day, you know, people go to heaven and hell. So, okay, fine, whatever. But like, we have the ability to not do this. Like there's no reason to do this 
and that this might just be the first of many. I don't know. This is dystopia. <laughs> this is like we're moving towards a dystopia. This feels like a Black Mirror episode just come to life, you know? Yeah. Like this, I, this we are the movie. This is actually Black Mirror. The new season of Black Mirror, and we're all just a part of it. But don't you know phones are bad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Technology is bad. <laughs> who's really the computer, Melvin? Do we watch TV? Does TV watch us? Uh, I don't know. This. I don't like it. I'm not a fan. If someone has an alternate alternative opinion on this, it has a very compelling reason why this actually isn't creepy and weird. Feel free to post in the Facebook group or something or tweet at me and I probably won't read it. Uh, <laughs> so moving on to something somewhat a little more enjoyable. November was apparently a fairly weird month just in terms of box office returns. Uh, start with the high. Joker which I'm sure everyone is already tired of hearing about, but it keeps just keeps heading headlines, uh, became the first R-rated film to make a billion dollars worldwide. And not only did it reach this coveted milestone, but it did so as a quote-unquote smaller movie and did it with the dreaded R rating. Uh, Joker's budget is estimated between anywhere between 55 and $75 million, regardless, pales in comparison to the more than $300 million spent on Justice League. Uh, $300 million is just what they've announced. Probably spent more based on all the research and stuff. It is the most profitable film comic book movie of all time. Granted, the way they come to that number is a little weird because it's, okay, like, it made more in its return because of how much spent on it, but actual, like, net gross, I think other movies still beat it, but regardless, that's a lot of money on a movie that Warner Brothers, for whatever reason, didn't think would do very well. On the other hand... Doctor Sleep, Terminator Dark Fate, and the recently released Charlie's Angels, despite all being based on uh, profitable IPs, being sequels slash remakes to things that we've all familiar with, did not do well. They all have underperformed uh, so far. Here's the actual numbers as of when I looked up a couple of days ago. Dark Fate has grossed $233 million against an $185 million budget. Uh, basic movie math is you take that number and then you... A lot of people say double it to to sort of take a look at like what is the marketing budget slash theaters take their ticket price out of. Not a perfect estimate, but regardless, definitely not the number they're looking for. Doctor Sleep so far has made about $55 million against a $55 million budget. So not good. And Charlie's Angels opening weekend, uh, around $10 million against a $48 million budget. And that had a lot of marketing, at least what I saw. I saw a lot of trailers for it. There also was that sweet song, uh, from Ariana Grande, Miley Cyrus, and Juan Del Rey. So they even had the tie-in movie theme song, which is something I wish they bring back more. A couple of weird things about this, though, is that previous big bombs, usually people will come for something like, oh, well, the reviews are really bad or really bad word of mouth. But Dark Fate and Doctor Sleep both got pretty good reviews. They were well-reviewed. They were considered, uh, Dark Fate was considered the best recent Terminator film, which admittedly is not a high bar, but it was considered a lot better than Genesis and both had pretty good word of mouth. I mean, Charlie's angels, not great, but it's still, I checked the tomato meter right before this and it was at like 59, 60%, which isn't a bad percentage. And even then like midway, which had way worse reviews was doing pretty decent at the box office. So not bad reviews, decent reviews, decent word of mouth. People actually saw the movie hot tie in single yet. These movies just aren't doing well. So the question of Hollywood's mind is, how could so many of these quote-unquote proven properties not do well? You know, you had a Terminator film, a Stephen King adaptation. That's a sequel to one of the most famous films of all time. Uh, Charlie's Angels, which has had television shows, TV reboots, has had other films. While a, a comic book movie that is R-rated and focused on a villain side character 
um, does a billion dollars. So Melvin, what is your takeaway from these numbers? And do you have thoughts on why these proven commodities didn't do well while Joker just keeps making money? It might sound like a simple question to some people listening, but I I feel like this is like a, a really big deal, not just between like, oh, why are some movies failing and why are others not? I think it really like what what is it that the general populace is connecting with? They're not connecting with some sort of big budget, dumb action flick like Terminator. And I'm not saying dumb isn't bad. Like it, it like I've heard it's fairly fun, good movie, too. But they're not connecting with that. They're not connecting with Dr. Sleep. but. I don't really think anyone really was anyway. I know that it got really good ratings and I know I've heard people say like it's a it is a good sequel to Stanley Kubrick's film. Not great, not like Stanley Kubrick's film, but it is still a good film. And then even Charlie's Angels like like I said Kirsten Stewart's good and and to me I was like I could go see it but then I just didn't. But all of these films are sort of I don't know let me paint it this way. When I think of Joker, like my first thought was, yeah, I'm going to go see that. With these other ones was, I don't really have an interest in it. And yet, I don't think Hollywood or big big companies realize that it's that quick. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a single, single commonality between the three movies and as to why they all didn't do well. I mean, I think just part one, I, I don't know why Dr. Sleep, they didn't release it more closer to Halloween. I think that was a really weird decision. Yeah. Why did it release like November 1st? It should have been October 20th. <laughs> yeah. I think the best I could come up with is just the studio had several release dates. I mean, they just picked that one for Dr. Sleep because I don't even know what other movie took whatever date they had in October. But I think it's just, I think the form, if there is a form of these movies, it's just a thing people recognize, make a movie based on that. And like Charlie's Angels is just not a property that I think anyone is interested in. But like Charlie's Angels is not like a hot property that people are just waiting to come back. I don't know why they thought that that would be the thing. Terminator, I think, is just way too close to the last Terminator movie. Yeah, it is. It really feels like Genesis just came out like a month ago and there's just another one. And I think that's just a sta- that's just an example of a franchise that's used up its goodwill. I love Terminator. Like I loved the first two Terminator movies. I like the third one for what it is. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. I already have referenced him previously in, and I think the trailer talk episode because he's just a guy from my childhood, but I just think most audiences weren't ready. And Hey, I didn't see any of these movies either. Neither did you. Apparently Mm-mm. I made plenty to see Dr. Sleep, but it was two and a half hours and I just didn't have a time. So there's just some, maybe there's just something in the air. I mean, my hope and prayer from this is that Hollywood would just look and just say like, just because something has a name and just because something is a proven IP, it's not going to sell. Let's try something else. I don't know. They're trying to find the formula of what will get people in the theaters is just not something you're ever going to do. I don't know why they keep trying, but yeah, I just, they just, these movies didn't particularly interest me. They didn't interest, interest you. They didn't interest audiences. It's, it's one of those nebulous things that every person, like you said, it's instantaneous. Every person when they're sitting in a theater or are they just sitting in front of a TV or whatever screen they see trailers on, the moment a trailer comes on and it plays, most people within 30 seconds, I think there's no, oh, I'm going to see that. Or oh, I'm not going to see that. And there's just something about it. Each movie hits everyone very differently. And there is something about the Joker that just hits the cultural zeitgeist at the moment. People are dressing up as a Joker at actual protests around the world right now. I mean, I don't think that's what the movie is necessarily about, but it's just something about it. It strikes a chord with people in a way that 
grown-up Danny from The Shining just doesn't, or seeing Linda Hamilton play um, Sarah Connor again just doesn't, you know? Which is interesting. If I can briefly mention, like, we had Halloween's remake, not remake. What They kept the same title, which is irritating, because now we just have to call it Halloween, like, what, 2018 or 2017? <laughs> it's called Halloween, and it's sequel to Halloween. <laughs> but basically, that film, I think, resonated with people, because one, people really like Halloween. So, okay, you got the franchise health there. But also, it briefly and i saw a lot of articles about this it briefly was touching on um sort of like i i I briefly talk about this in the trailer talk and then if the black christmas episode's out by now then that too but if the halloween film that just came out briefly talks of kind of portrays an image of like a of a bad experience that a woman has with a violent man and now no one's believing it. And, and and even our trailer talk just talked about the, an upcoming film called invisible man. Yeah. And those are pretty like, those are things people really connect with. And I know a lot of reviews were saying the things they liked were those perspectives in the film. Also Halloween was a pretty female focused film. I mean, I think it was like three men, maybe four men in total. And then the rest were, and they were only there for a couple of minutes. Whereas the women really took the film by storm. Not, not counting Michael Myers, who's in a lot of the movie. Well, he's the shape. Who knows what he is <laughs> as far as those are concerned. I think with Halloween, I don't know who's doing market research, but just people like Halloween. They want to see more Halloween. Yeah. They like our movies. I also think that I don't know how much Halloween did at the box office, but that movie might have been profitable also because it just didn't spend any money on it. Yeah, it was really pretty low budget. Yeah, I think that might have, that might have been like a $20 million movie. While they're spending $55 million to sleep, they spent almost $200 million on Terminator. Like part of what makes these movies bombs is that they're not is that they're spending all this money on it and there's just money being thrown at something that they think because it, it has made money in the past, they're just hoping it'll make money again. Are there these message boards somewhere that I don't know about where, where people are just claiming for Charlie's Angels? Are there just tons of Charlie's Angels like Stan and Twitter accounts that I just don't know about? <laughs> Was there like, did Dr. Sleep sell a ton of copies? And so they decided to make a movie out of it. You think that based on the fact that the last Terminator was not successful and it was a sequel and after the previous Terminator movie was also not successful, that they would get the message after three bad Terminator movies? Maybe make it cheaper. Like imagine a $60 million budget. You have really great actors put in the lead and stuff, and it's literally just a robot, like a single robot. And it becomes this tension of what if it was like a thing, like the thing. And so you didn't know what the robot was. Because I think I heard Dark Feet, the Dark Fate, Dark Feet, <laughs> Terminator, Dark, get Quentin Tarantino on the line. We're going to watch <laughs> Terminator Dark Feet. Um, if, if it was a 50, 50, $40 million budget with a high actor and you had a character that was because, uh, yeah, in Dark Fate, I think that the Terminator can change bodies. So, like, what if you had it like you don't know what which person is it? And it has to figure out the best time to get to know you. I would totally watch that. Um, you'd have some inflections of the thing, which is cool. And you'd have to be careful not to go overboard. But you could have like a really interesting like this thing came back and it's just going to imitate. And then you would have to figure out how to toss some commentary in there, of course. But that sounds great and low budget. and. Not as risky as I'm going to spend almost $200 million, if not more, and I really got to make a lot of money. Like that means it has to break like 500 million to to break even uh, or not break even, but to like make some profit and pay some people back. I, I do think a fresh Terminator, Terminator idea is really kind of what this like basically if you watch the Dark Fate trailer, 
the big reveal in the trailer is that Arnold's back, but that's also the big reveal of the Terminator Genesis trailer. Like there just wasn't anything there. And I, I don't know who who said it, but I think I saw someone on Twitter say this, where they were like, now the new Terminator has failed next Terminator movie. Find the weirdest indie director you can with the weirdest Terminator idea and just let them make that movie for like a small budget. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's time traveling robots. That's like a really fun idea. And you could do a lot of things with that. But it's just they keep having to stop Judgment Day over and over again. And it keeps being stopped. And the next movie is just, oh, guess we didn't stop it. Like It's like it's the same retcon over and over again. Like the Terminator franchise is just a mess. And did we talk about this last time? We did talk about how it basically resets itself over and over. And at yeah. some point, there's just so much canon that isn't canon anymore. And there's irony because you could just say, oh, it's a different timeline. But it's also not the sort of franchise or science fiction that is aware of alternate timelines. It just it, it's almost like one only timeline and we just keep failing. <laughs> so I don't know if this will become a thing with trailer talk where people will like look at we say about the trailers and then when the movie comes out, they'll be like, okay, let's see if they were right. But I guess in the Terminator one, we I, I'm I'm gonna assume we weren't super stoked, but or maybe I was. I don't know. I don't remember what I said in this podcast. So that's might be a problem down the line. I think it was an aside. I don't remember us talking specifically yeah. about it. I think we talked about another movie and didn't care about it. So we talked about Terminator instead. Okay. But anyways. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, all three of these movies failed for different reasons. There's, I don't think there is a formula to it. And I think Joker is just a good movie that struck people a certain way. I mean, it's kind of flippant to just say like, oh, the Joker was good. But apparently these movies are also not bad. But I don't know. Just stop making sequels to franchises that just need a rest do something different same thing everyone says all the time but we don't make movies so but enough about all that here's what people actually want to hear us talk about this is the reason people are going to click on this episode if they click on it at all sad humor uh (laughs) disney plus disney plus that's this is the disney plus episode i don't know why you're pretending otherwise uh on november 12th disney plus went live in the united states one day after launch over 10 million people had signed up for the service which puts into perspective why it was crashing so much the day it came out uh, many users reported problems with the new streaming juggernaut with complaints ranging from programs and features not loading to being able to log in at all. Uh, other launch day issues include shows being having the episodes out of order, like Phineas and Ferb and Spider-Man the Animated Series, which is one of the first things I clicked on. Uh, some shows were just in the wrong aspect ratio, such as the infamous thing with The Simpsons and thousands of Disney Plus accounts being hacked. Also worth noting that some shows have entire episodes just omitted, uh, including the Michael Jackson episode of The Simpsons. Despite this rocky start, the service seems to be generally well-received, with many enjoying the deep library of Disney content, 30 seasons of The Simpsons, and the much-anticipated Mandalorian show. Um, and just speaking as someone who's in that like under 35, over 18 demographic, a lot of my friends and people on my social media are just in that perfect age range where they're just posting about how they loved having all of their favorite shows from the 90s on there, nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. Uh, I saw quite a few posts about people t- actually this is kind of cute people talking about sitting their kids down and showing them the shows that they grew up on so let's just get into it did you venture into Disney plus did you get it what'd you think about it let's hear it yeah so I've been kind of thinking about the whole Netflix v Disney plus kind of thing going on the idea like will Disney plus be the the official killer like there was a lot of jokes in the 2000s like is there going to be a game that's the halo killer and then at the end nothing nothing was the halo killer <laughs> kill zone was supposed to be a halo killer yeah man oh man was that not true and it was just like nope these are not going to do it and at the end of the day like was disney plus going to be it i mean disney has 
a lot of money, has a lot of means to supporting its own service. Uh, it has, and by that I mean like Netflix. They don't have an alternative income. Their only real income is subscriptions at this point. Isn't Netflix deeply in debt? It is ridiculously in debt. However, its value is high because it always has like a potential. Yeah. Like, what is it? There's like that physics term, like potential energy. Like Netflix has a bajillion potential energy, uh, whatever the, the proper term is. Like the the ability for Netflix to take off and really become profitable has always just been on the cusp of getting there. And by cusp, I mean everyone's expecting it to be tomorrow. But that's that means it's going to have to make a lot of money to get its debt over. You, you know what I think is the most valuable thing about Netflix? Hmm. Like by far where its most valuable thing is? What? The name. Oh, absolutely. The name, absolutely. It's kind of like when you want to like get a Band-Aid, you say Band-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. Or even you want to get fast food, you get a McDonald's. But I mention all that because Netflix doesn't have an alternative means of income, but Disney Plus does. Disney Plus can make its movies and make it through the ticket sales, which you know never is all that much, but they get it through then the toys, and then they get it through all the uh, marketing that they reach through all these other partnerships they can have, and Disney properties themselves just make a lot of money. So that was one thing that was like written on the wall. The other things were also just the fact that Disney Plus has a huge catalog. So once it comes out, it's going to have a lot for people to see. Whereas Netflix has a huge catalog, but we are still kind of learning it. Like I know it because I'm always on Netflix. I really like Netflix. Uh, And I always kind of know what's coming out on their service. But Disney Plus is like, well, I grew up watching their shows. So they're just going to be on there. Great. That's perfect. Um, Disney Plus also has entirely original content. So if you want to see something Disney, you see it on Disney Plus. However, Disney Plus comes out. I I open it up and I have no problems watching anything. So that's great. But I'm immediately like, oh, Disney Plus is not going to kill Netflix. And here's why. When I think about what Disney Plus offers, yes, nostalgic shows that people loved growing up and will watch. That's cool. But I can't imagine them having staying power. Um, something about Netflix is that a lot of their shows, I think, can be rewatched and people really like them. Uh, yeah, we're about to lose The Office on Netflix, and that stinks. But we're going to get – we still have Arrested Development, and the first three seasons are incredibly rewatchable. I mean, I've watched them like 16, 17 times through, and I, I'm being totally serious. I lost count after 14. I genuinely was counting. And I'm still finding new jokes, so that even speaks to the fact that Arrested Development is totally rewatchable. Disney Plus, I don't think, really has – rewatchability yet they might have a show that comes out that has that and that's great but it just doesn't have the rewatchability yeah yeah you're talking about like rewatchability and depth of library and that's kind of my first i guess you could say issue with disney plus i mean overall i mean i'm just gonna say it right now overall my opinions are i would say cautiously positive but i think one of the big things is disney has a deceptively shallow library like okay you go on the service and initially like your first thing you see all these things you see like they have recess lizzie mcguire darkwing duck gargoyles they have all these movies and that is it that initial visual impact of seeing like disney marvel pixar whatever that's really good but then you actually get into the meat and bones of the library and it's filled with things that like i'm never gonna watch the mighty ducks animated cartoon like, that's just not something I'm going to watch. I may have nostalgia for it, so to speak. Like, I remember, I didn't even watch the show much. I just remember that commercial playing a lot. And you see, like, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Like, these are just things that you may have fond memories of watching. But I think in rewatching, you realize that some things are just better left in the past. And so I can sort of see this becoming kind of like how people treat The Office with 
Netflix, I can see like this becoming like, this is the Simpsons machine. You know, this is the thing that I'm waiting for the potential to be realized. Obviously, I love Disney. We all have loved Disney. We all have some sort of fondness for Disney. But I think we have fondness for the cherries that we pick out where they're those shiny moments of Disney really stick out in our head. Like I remember seeing the first time I saw Beauty and the Beast. I remember seeing, I actually saw uh, the Little Mermaid in theaters. And those are things that stick out in our mind as these shining moments of Disney magic. But also there's a million like that talking dog. There's a ton of like, if you go through the library, there's all these like shown on Disney Channel once type of movies. And then there's a lot of things just missing. Like there's no Indiana Jones on there. Why? Like why why are so many Fox properties sort of omitted out of this library? Why are why is the best Spider-Man cartoon, the spectacular Spider-Man, not on there? And I mean, this is gonna be kind of like a sort of tangent tirade kind of thing, but I think if you dear listener, if you remember my last the last episode we talked about my kind of issues with streaming services in general, and one of the big things I mentioned is that eventually there's gonna to come to the realization that you don't actually own anything, that you're essentially paying a fee every month to rent things. And no more is that clearer than in Disney Plus, where if you just stick to the homepage and you look at the recommended and there's the originals, the the relatively very small originals library at launch where they have garbage like Pixar in real life. I don't know if anyone's actually watched it, but it is like eight minutes of pure cringe where like improv actors act out like a Pixar scenario in a park while people... They have set up like the emotion control center from inside out and people play with it. And then improv actors act out those emotions. It's bad. But like when you look past that and you just go into, you can actually find a master list of everything on the service, which is actually something very nice. I kind of wish more service, more streaming services had this. You actually start clicking on things. If you click on something like infinity war or adventures in babysitting or a couple other things, you will get a prompt that says, this title will become available in 2021, in 2020. And it's never before has this been this clearer picture of these things don't fit, like actually belong to you. They're let, lent to you as long as Disney sees fit that you have access to them. And when you have a company like Disney that is notorious for creating their own scarcity and driving up the value of their own properties by sticking them in the proverbial Disney vault, that scares me. And like that is this is a big moment of like, oh, wait a minute. I should just pull out my DVD copy of like half of these movies. I own a lot of these movies like already on DVD. I own some of these shows on DVD. Why am I not just using my DVD library? There was a great tweet that went out where somebody posted a tweet of like their Blu-ray collection of Disney films and it just said instantly obsolete. And then like shortly after that, they tweeted, Hey, I can't log in. Like my, my thing isn't working. Does anyone <laughs> know a fix for this? It's just, there you go. This is my entire problem with streaming, like just in a service where like the library isn't, it's a library is almost too niche in a way where, yeah, it's a ton of Disney stuff, but it's all the Disney stuff, including the stuff that you don't actually want to see. Um, some of the stuff on there isn't available or the service is buggy, so you can't access it. And this is like, they've, they've made a soapbox for me to get on and talk about my love for physical media. Um, that was my sort of long tangent. I mean, the thing is, too, is that it's not just that there isn't really stuff to watch or rewatchability. And again, I think another thing, too, is that we might just not be the target audience here. This is a great babysitting machine. Yeah, it's a good babysitting machine whenever you think to yourself like, like, 
<laughs> my wife would have some interesting thoughts on that because she is very irritated with the ba TV babysitting thing, especially YouTube babysitting, because uh, YouTube babysitting is incredibly dangerous. <laughs> yeah, Elsa, pre Elsa, pregnant Spider Man, Joker. Yeah, yeah, it's like really weird stuff. But um, not only that, like when I think about what I was interested in, just as an adult. And I'm not saying that you're a child if you're an adult and like these movies. I'm just saying as an adult in my interest now, I was like the Nat Geo stuff is really cool and that's actually populating my list. But when it gets right down to it, if I wasn't having to review some stuff from Disney Plus for this podcast, I don't think I would have bought the monthly subscription just to watch Nat Geo documentaries. I can watch some of the documentaries or short documentaries on Netflix. And that's where you get back to the whole Netflix versus Disney thing. And when it comes to the future of the staying power of Disney Plus, I'm just not so sure it's there. And another thing, too, is that we mentioned Disney Plus got 10 million subscribers in the first day. That's really good. But think about the fact that Netflix has 150 million. Yeah. And people are thinking like Disney Plus might be the killer. And Netflix has tapered off on the increase in, in subscriptions. But it's still so high and it keeps growing. And they also keep offering some really great stuff. I mean, they're covering their bases. They have like 12 really great people also focusing on kids media. So they're really trying to cover all the bases in ways that like Disney might be able to say, yeah, well, we already did that and pop up some Lizzie McGuire. It's not to say that a show like Lizzie McGuire or Sweet Life and Zacky Cody, Zacky Cody, a Sweet Life and Zack and Cody uh, Sweet Life in Zack and Cody. It's like Inside Good old Zack and Cody. <laughs> I just can't get it right. That's a show I like, by the way, and I probably will rewatch that. But like when you think about like the one show and showing these to like kids, there is just a different taste in what they're interested in. We just talked endlessly, if not too much, about like the Joker versus Terminator Dark Fate, Doctor Sleep, and Charlie's Angels like basically fight that was November. And now we're going to have the like, what are kids interested in as far as Disney Plus is concerned? And will they even like the shows we grew up with? Maybe um, they might just like different types of stuff. There might be different things they're interested in that we weren't when we grew up. Yeah. And I'm just not so sure Disney Plus will cover those bases. But talking about, do I care for it? Like, is this something I like? Not really. I didn't start The Mandalorian yet because I want to binge it and then I want to review it then. I want it all fresh in my mind. And so I guess I'm like out the outlier here where the first thing I watched was Lady in the Tramp for a review and not... I'm, I'm never watching <laughs> like, that. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think the Disney Plus thing puts in stark contrast what you're talking about. I think we've had that, but Disney Plus will be the biggest hit for most people about the 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 validity of streaming services and whether or not like... Do we like this glorified renting system or would we rather own physical media? As someone who likes movies, I like physical media. It looks nice on my shelf. I mean, the price point right now is really great. Like I got the bundle with Hulu because actually my Hulu subscription was up at, at the end of November, which I'm sure was intentional. So I was like, okay, like I can save, you know, for like 12, I think it was like $12. I can get Hulu and Disney plus and ESPN plus so I can watch. Um, I'm really the only sport I'd be watching was, would be MMA, but I, when you're comparing it to Netflix, which seems to be kind of like the through line here, the thing with Netflix when it came out was Netflix was a killer. It killed Blockbuster. And part of how it did that was it had just everything. Like you, there was a point where 
most things have i think i feel like it feels like most things have at some point been on netflix before they got either snatched up by someone else who decided to run their own streaming service or whatever and i think disney plus is part of the issue is um there's a guy there's a youtuber named captain midnight who i'm a big fan of and he actually had a whole video where he talks about the identity crisis that disney plus seems to have where it doesn't seem like they really know what they want to do and i think there's this thing where disney plus is trying to position or disney's trying to position disney plus as like the family entertainment thing while Hulu is in theory going to be where they put the more quote unquote adult content, which is already something that I hate in theory, where they have one library, but you have to pay for two services to get to it. Yeah. But at the same time, like The Mandalorian, which I have watched the first two episodes of Mandalorian, and that I quite frankly like The Mandalorian is one of the best so far, two episodes in, is one of the best Star Wars things I've ever seen, just in terms of like it doesn't have the most depth in terms of like, it's not creating new and interesting lore with star Wars so far. There hasn't been anything like interesting thematically, but you are getting this like grounds eye view of the star Wars universe with just kind of like a cool character. And it, it just feels like a Western in space, which is really what a lot of people have wanted out of star Wars for a long time. And like this thing, they spent money on it. It looks like um, they spent like a couple million dollars per episode, like 10, $15 million per episode like Taiko Atiti's in the first episode along with Werner Herzog and Carl Weathers, like, um, like Nick Nolte's a sporting actor. Like there's some great stuff in there, but that's like the only show on there that feels like it's aimed at like a general audience. While the majority of the Disney plus content is either like very broad stuff. Like you have avatar is on there. Um, like a lot of the Marvel stuff is on there for some reason that inhuman show that's just awful is on there. There's a ton of like, and then you got Disney cartoons, which like gargoyles or a lot of Spider-Man cartoons and like X-Men anime cartoons. Like those are things that, you know, are also broad audience. It's just like, what do you want this thing to be? Disney, like Disney, like why is all the Fox content apparently getting like sectioned off to Hulu, which I'll also have to pay for. Like, I know like most people are just waiting for Falcon winter soldier to drop or all these other like announced like there's gonna be a haunt like a haunts not Han Solo. there's gonna be an obi-wan kenobi show but like i don't know if i want to keep spending like seven dollars a month for potential i mean there's also the the issue where there's already been some censorship issues being brought up so some of like the quote-unquote controversial things have a like a may contain outdated cultural depictions um warning at the front which some people have an issue with that i don't really have an issue with that but then like song of the south it's just not on the service and certain scenes like in toy story 2 and dumbo have been removed there was a weird instance where in gravity falls a symbol on one of the characters hats is just edited out of the first like 12 episodes for seemingly no reason and there's a whole thing with like the michael jackson episode the simpsons is gone which the whole point of like a service like this is it's this gold mine where the beauty of streaming services, you get stuff like Filmstuck. I know um, Criterion Correction has its, own, has its own streaming service. These services are like museums. Like these things are things that people can have access to this content who otherwise might not be. These like DVDs can go out of print. Stuff that might be region locked or not just not released in certain areas for some reason. But if you get Disney Plus, you have access to like things that are historically significant. So let me sit here and say like I'm never gonna watch. 60% of the stuff on the service, there is something to be said for just, it is there just almost for posterity's sake. But then some of the stuff isn't even there. George Lucas made one final edit where Greedo again shoots first, but why aren't the original Star Wars movies, the theatrical cuts available anywhere? Like what gives? I don't know, as you can see, I'm very conflicted on it. Cause like when you get into the basic things like layout, the layout's fine. 
I don't know why there's no autoplay feature that drives me up a wall. I like sometimes it does autoplay though. It's very weird. Um, usability, it's not. It's not even as good as Hulu, which they own, but it's not the worst thing I've ever navigated. But there's so much. There's just all these very strange, very Disney decisions that bother me. Where there are because. You talk about how like Netflix has 150 million subscribers or whatever, and right now there's only 10 million. What Disney wants to do is they want to create this global subscription service that can dominate the entire world. And the problem with that, though, is you have to tailor to make your service so that it doesn't offend any sensibilities anywhere. So if China has an issue with something or Saudi Arabia has an issue with something, or you're worried that like a symbol in someone's outfit might offend a religious group in some region or area that like i'm sure disney executives aren't even thinking about like you're making a service that's going to appeal to everyone but then isn't really going to like be anyone's favorite thing you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's going to be this thing that everyone and i mean that might be their goal just be like everyone like oh i love hulu i love netflix oh no yeah i got disney plus too because everyone's got to have it because i need my marvel disney pixar fix or whatever um that might be their goal but I don't know. It was, there's was a lot of hype and there's a lot of potential and then getting something that and I say all this and I've actually like spent a decent amount of time with the service. Um, I love the short films that are on there. I watched a bunch of the Pixar shorts, which are just great. I finally watched Boston's university. I watched, uh, I actually hadn't seen Zootopia for whatever reason. I got, I watched that finally. And I watched a, like the first like three seasons of the Simpsons already, which I mean, yeah, you're getting $7 worth for sure. Like that's not even one film ticket. So if you watch one movie a month, you're getting your money's worth out of it. But, in an age where there's like 50 million subscription services, is it worth? I don't know. I'm, I'm ranting. So no, it's. I mean, you're covering on a lot of things that basically. I mean, what we're coming down to is Disney Plus is late to the party, but it's it's showing us a lot of the problems with the new way in which we interact with media. One of which is is some cases of censorship i think are a good choice so like i think that particular thing in toy story 2 was like a scene at the end credits where it looks like basically it's just a really tasteless scene yeah it's an off-color joke i don't know why he's in there in the first place yeah it shouldn't have been there in the first place uh but when you know who john lasseter was behind the scenes you can understand why it's there <laughs> that's true i didn't even make that connection but that's a good point melvin but like it's a really nasty joke and it's the sort of thing that just shouldn't be there, whether it was a mature film or not. And so to take it out is really, I would say one of the good choices, but there's a difference between something that I would almost say is really nasty and, and dare I say sinful and having in something that like is definitely exhibiting characteristics of, of a, of a culture. So like the particular thing in Dumbo with the, with the crows is there is something really sinister behind it. But they all the, in the story of Dumbo, like the the making of the characters is a little sinister, but the not a little, it's a lot sinister. Yeah. But the characters in the film participate in the in the film in a way that works. Now, am I saying I'm okay with like any changes of like taking the crows out, like if they end up doing that in the in the at the end of it all? I'd guess I'd be fine with it too, because in the end of the day, I don't, I'm not asking for things to be sanitized. I'm just asking for people to not be irresponsible. And what's really happening here is a case in which Disney is saying, not actually saying they're just, they're proactively fixing something without admitting that they did something wrong, especially in the case of like racial stuff. They've, they've been pretty overt about like, yeah, we've done poor with women, but they haven't really said anything about minorities, which has been very strange. They've kind of just glossed over it and just said like, 
we've never, we, they haven't said anything. They're just not saying anything. And they're treating that as the answer to like their misuse of, and, and complete disrespect of minorities, especially in classic Disney stuff where like, I don't even need to mention what they called the crows in the Dumbo movie for you to know what the first word is in the way they characterize them. So yeah, just, just, just take a de- guess listener. Like I'm sure you'll figure it out. Censorship is an interesting thing. Cause I think a lot of people take it too out of proportion because I think if, yeah, you're editing out things that are nasty and evil or sinful, good do that. Like if, if you could have something that censored out all of the nudity in a lot of m- movies, if not all of them, good. That makes them more watchable as far as we're concerned. But taking out something like someone being hit or punched or abused, like a situation where a character is being abused and then in the end they overcome it, you wouldn't have to censor that out. But you mentioned particular something about Disney Plus, like not knowing where it belongs. And I think that's spot on because it's something that they're going to pioneer as the family streaming service. And you even talked about the distinction that the adult properties will be put on Hulu. In in theory, I just want to clarify that has it been like confirmed or anything. Because like you have something like New Mutants, which will have a completely different name and it'll probably get dropped on Hulu, not on Disney Plus. But Disney Plus also has Simpsons, which has some pretty adult jokes and adult visuals. Yeah, to say the least, like <laughs> especially like later seasons. And by later, I mean pretty much after like season nine, because <laughs> like the early stuff, it, it toys with it. But then at some point, it's pretty overt. And then you have I always mention Hocus Pocus, which a lot of people really love. But if you like watch with like Christian sensibilities and I would almost say just like morals, you would see that it's a pretty overt film with its sexual humor and its jokes and it's sort of it's just a sexually frustrating film in the script not watching it just the script is constantly layered with jokes about like that you just would never make and at some point you're like why is that on this service next to halloween town which is like really pure and innocent yeah disney plus is weird i think what we're gonna have is a, is a month or two from now things will layer out and people will realize it's really not much I think what happened is like what you said. What, what was the term you said? Something about like um, a massive catalog, but it's really kind of empty. I don't know. I really liked what you said, but it was just like. Oh, well, thank you. It was just, there's so much. I remember what I said, but I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> but it's like, there's so much to the catalog that it's like, wow, Disney Plus is great. But then there's not actually that much worthwhile. It's a, it's a lot of filler. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's a lot of, yeah. And like to to the censorship point, like. I think there's something kind of sinister about the idea of like Disney removing things without really saying it. Like, I think there is something to be said. I know Warner Brothers has actually gotten a lot of praise for this, where when they show old like Looney Tunes, they'll throw up a disclaimer like, there's things in this that are problematic and just flat out racist, but like we're preserving them and showing them as they were because this is just what it was and it's it's hurtful to pretend like these things didn't happen. Right. And I don't like this idea of Dizzy being able to sanitize their own legacy without having to confront it. So, like, I don't think the things in Dumbo should be left out. But what I do think should happen is they should, instead of just saying, like, hey, warning, you might be offended by this movie, say, like, hey, listen, like, our movies reflect the racist attitudes of the times. And we did that. And that is something that we participated in. And, like, we're ashamed of it now. But, like, for for historical purposes and just for our own ability to, like, reflect, like, here is what it is. And I think that there's an opportunity there for... So here's the interesting thing. Avatar, 
one of the quote unquote special features is there's just a family friendly version of the movie, quote unquote, that just censors things out of the movie. So they have the original cut of the film and then they also have a family friendly version. I would be totally fine if, I mean, like take Star Wars, if they had every cut and version of Star Wars on there, like if, like that would be something. Oh yeah. That would make the service worth it. Yeah. Like just sit and watch every version of George Lucas's quote unquote vision he always had, even though he keeps changing what it was. Like as an historical and educational tool, I think Disney Plus has this interesting ability to like open up the Disney vault. Here's Silent of the South. Now here's a documentary that explains why Silent of the South is like racist and also kind of boring. Like <laughs> there's there's like here's an ex- here's an opportunity for Disney not to just like sweep the sweep up their own wrongdoing under the rug, which is what Disney's whole brand is kind of like. Saving Mr. Banks is a movie about is a movie that completely omits all of while disney's like faults like disney likes to pretend like they've always been this magical company that has been your friends and on christmas morning you get into disney movie and there's mickey mouse like but like disney i mean we just talked earlier about disney's evil corporation that's potentially going to ruin cinema (laughs) so i mean the least they could do is be like hey guess what crows that wasn't cool hey having a movie called song of the south where we act like slavery was this kind of like whimsical thing that we all just overcame and became buddies after that's not cool like come on disney also just the layout of disney plus it just bugs me i don't know like it's just it's just hard to navigate the search functions but broken yeah, the search doesn't work at all there's been a bunch of articles written where if you search basketball avatars on the movies that comes as a recommendation but then like if you search christmas a bunch of christmas movies that have like christmas in the title don't come up Iron Man 3 does come up, though. So that's which is interesting. I mean, it is, does take place at Christmas. But. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If you if you shutter a streaming service, the one of the more extreme niche streaming services, they have an entire section for horror movies that are Christmas themed. So they are already ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah, you could learn a thing or two from Shutter, yep. both in content and search functionality. Uh, yeah, I mean, overall, like the question people want to know is like, do I recommend Disney Plus? And you kind of know if you want it already. Like, you yeah. don't need a podcast I don't think it to really, tell you. I don't think it really you takes know? even a recommendation. I think it's just as simple as, like, do you have it already? You got it. If you don't have it, you probably didn't want it. <laughs> and that's, it's just that simple. I mean, if you really, really want to watch some Disney and you don't feel like just going and grabbing the VHSs out of your basement, yeah. Then, yeah, it's good. I mean, I sit here and I'm saying all these seemingly negative things, but I mean, I've so far used it probably like every other day since i got it like there's there is a, like there is a lot of stuff on there it's just once i get through all the disney stuff i want to see am i going to do i want to keep paying for it is kind of the question um do i just do i want to keep waiting for all these originals to come out i don't know so if you like disney then disney plus certainly is a service for you i guess is what i can say so i mean so usually and by usually I mean the only other episode of the show we've done we've been talking we will recommend what our favorite movie of the month was I would put forth the idea that this month we could both rec- see if, say if we recommend Disney Plus or not, but also uh, I think it'd be cool if we would recommend if we had another streaming service you could recommend or if we have something on a streaming service that you think people should check out. I'm partially saying that because I didn't really watch any movies in November. <laughs> Apparently not a lot of other people did. That's the whole point of the story, but I mean, not a lot came out in November. I don't know, Melvin. What do you think? I'd be down for that. I mean, uh, if we're going to recommend an alternative streaming service... I did just name plug Shudder. I don't know if I'd recommend it, though. I mean, it really is super niche. And then there's a lot of stuff you kind of just skip over because it's just like 
trash. But I could recommend something on a streaming service as far as like a movie was concerned. And there was definitely one for me. I previously on the podcast reviewed The King, which released um, publicly on November 1st. Now it was I think it had a like a like a festival run briefly. So technically it debuted a few months ago, but it was made public for everybody to watch. Um, I reviewed it and I was one of those. I have some reviews that I finish where I kind of step away and go, oh, I feel like I didn't give it as much justice as it deserved. And and The King might be one of those movies that are reviewed on the podcast where I felt like oh, I did kind of miss the mark. That said, it's still... It's been a movie I've been thinking about a lot lately. I really it's it's about King Henry V and it, and it's a different take on the perspective um as opposed to Shakespeare's more heroic and and whimsical play. This one is a much more influenced by Game of Thrones, not so much in the explicit content sense but more in the the tone. It's a it's a pretty dark medieval tale. There's just a lot I've been thinking about when it comes to like its picture of King Henry. Um it's not totally historically accurate, but the way it paints this story of a man who was not interested in in the responsibility of becoming king, fell into it and then wanted to take it to the to the limits, like really become the best king and wanted to do it in one way, but his learning it has to be done in another. And then maybe even having that shown to not be true either. There's just a lot of layers to the film that I feel like might have been missed over. And I've even thought when I watched it that I was like, oh, I could probably just turn it on again tomorrow and just watch it again. So I would definitely recommend that one from this month. There are a couple other cool short films I watched that were neat, but that's definitely going to be the the main one that I'll go with. So the big question in a lot of people's minds is in terms of streaming is how are you going to pay for all the streaming services? You got Spotify, you have Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, uh, you got just now Disney Plus, so many. May I present to you a free alternative to streaming that I don't see a lot of people talking about, which is very strange to me, and probably because it has a single hurdle that is also free, but for some people apparently it's too much. There's two streaming services called, one's called Canopy and the other's called Hoopla, and they are free. The only thing is you need a library card. And if you get a library card, you can put in your library card number and then you have access to whatever your library's alleged film collection is. And I went on Canopy and they had every movie that I missed. They had mid nineties, they had eighth grade. They just had pretty much every Oscar nominated or indie film festival kind of movie that you probably might not have gotten a chance to see in theaters, but it's on there for free. The only restriction is you're limited to 10 movies a month, but it's like I said, it's free. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, Hoopla has similar um, library, but they also have a ton of just great documentaries. They were streamed at a film festival and then didn't really get released anywhere. Those are on there. The only issue with that is for some reason, they didn't have my library on there. So I have to be able to use Hoopla. But Canopy is great. Like if you start a movie and like don't finish it, like it doesn't count towards your 10 day total for like a couple of days until you actually watch it. Those are both free. So I highly recommend those in terms of what's like something on a streaming service I've seen. The first thing I recommend is on Disney plus gravity falls is on there. Gravity falls is one of my all time favorite shows. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's only two seasons. It's beautiful. It's like one of the, it is one of those great show, shows that like both kids and adults can enjoy. I have a very weird, odd sense of humor. Gravity Falls is one of the only shows to make me like consistently laugh out loud. Um, the other thing is Crackle, the free Sony streaming service, it just has ads, has the spectacular Spider-Man, the best Spider-Man cartoon ever made. It's only two seasons because it got canceled for dumb reasons. It's on there. Also worth noting Terry Gilliam has been trying to make a movie since 1989 called The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, and he finally got it done in 2018. 
No one saw it. It's also free in Crackle. Just I'd throw that out there. There's actually a ton of great free server services out there. Uh, there's Pluto, Tubi. Um, you just have to do a little bit of research. And very late into the editing process, I learned that the last 10 seconds of Daniel's recording wasn't recorded. <laughs> All that he really says is that these services are free, they're out there, and they're really great to get plugged into. Thank you so much for going through all this tough stuff as we're learning how to start a new show, pretty much. If you made it this far, then, well, that means that you enjoyed it. At least, I would hope so. If you'd like to keep up with us at Cinematic Doctrine, you can always head to Cinematic Doctrine's website and check out all of the different shows that we offer, as well as movie reviews. You can check out all of our social media from there, and you can also support us on Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can vote on a movie I review at the end of each month, as well as support my coffee addiction. If you'd also like to keep up with Daniel, you can check out his Twitter, at TomRonda1. That's an H after the R. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.